Amen. All right. Mark chapter 7. Let's go and start reading in verse 1. It says, Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. So Jesus right now, he's been making so much news that the dignitaries, they finally was like, you know what? We need to go see what's going on with this guy. We've been hearing all the stories. Everybody's getting excited about him. And uh, all of a sudden, these people who had uh, saw themselves as leaders, the spiritual leaders, they're thinking, we're going to go check up on this boy and make sure, you know, he's sticking with our practices. And, you know, uh, if not, you know, we're going to... You know, we're going to have to have a talk with these people. We're going to have to have a talk with them and kind of straighten them out. And that's kind of their attitude because they felt that their opinion was needed. And so it says, and when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands off, eat not holding the tradition of the elders. Now, we know that there's nothing wrong with washing hands. In fact, that's really a good thing, isn't it? In fact, this would make Dr. Fauci happy if we had this practice. It, hasn't he been telling us to do that like crazy for the last year? Wash your hands, wash them often. And so they didn't have, you know, so these guys definitely weren't getting coronavirus because they were washing their hands like they were supposed to. And, uh, but they, they weren't wearing masks. So I don't know if they would have been okay or not. But either way, it's not a bad thing. This is not a bad tradition, but these guys had made such a big deal about this tradition to the point where it was like a Bible doctrine, and they're literally finding fault with Jesus and condemning him because he's not going along with one of their traditions that wasn't bad. You know, we can come up with traditions as a church all we want, and it's not bad for us to do those things. But if all of a sudden we start condemning people who don't follow our tradition, then we've got a problem because we've made the tradition too important. We've made it of equal importance with the Word of God, and that's not right. And we don't ever want to be that way. And so they immediately noticed Jesus and his disciples had different practices and customs than them, therefore meaning they were not identifying with them. Because that's why we often come up with the customs and the traditions and things we have. We want to do something to kind of set us apart from everyone else so we can kind of distinguish who we are. And then point to that and then make it like we're better than everybody else. And so when these disciples are just kind of doing their thing and it's not what the Pharisees would do, they kind of threw a fit. It's the same thing too. You know, if you get some of the big shot, big name, fat cat preachers that are out there that see themselves as popes and then you come and you invite them to your church and they see you doing things that aren't like they do, you know, they'll kind of look you up and down and like, you know, something's wrong with you. You know, there's preachers out there they throw a hissy fit if I had them come out here and preach and then we didn't have an altar call after the service. Now, is it wrong to do that? No. I mean, it's just kind of a tradition. It's a practice. It's a method that they use for getting decisions. I don't personally think it's the best way in the world to do things. I don't think it's bad. But at the same time, you'll get the snot beat out of you, figuratively speaking, if you don't do things like that in certain circles. And, you know, I've been hearing a lot of things about that Liberty Baptist Church, but uh, I noticed, you know, changing some stuff. Not doing things exactly like everyone else. And and when and when that happens, you're not in the club. Okay, I'm not going to get invited to preach at the next Old Paz meeting uh, just, just because of stuff like that. And, you know, and I, and I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this, but, you know, churches need to figure out what they need to do and what works for them. 
and they need to go with that. And they need to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And a lot of times we get ideas from other churches that are good. And sometimes we don't do things other churches do. And other churches just need to figure that out. That, you know, unless it's clearly commanded in the scriptures, we probably shouldn't hold people accountable to these things. And actually let people be independent. But, you know, the thing is, these fat cats, they didn't like the fact that Jesus just didn't seem to care about their authority that they had bestowed upon themselves. This is how it is, too, with a lot of the popes that are out there in the IFB world. You know, they'll get up in these conferences and they'll make these big proclamations about what they think every church should be doing. And that's their way of basically giving orders. And most people fall in line. But then when you have that person that doesn't fall in line, it's like, well, you know, bless your heart. You know, go for it. You do what you want to do. Uh, we're going to do what we want to do. They get bent out of shape real fast. And the Pharisees, they didn't like it that Jesus was not influenced by their words and the things that they said. Jesus didn't care. And at the end of the day, you know, I'm, I'm always ready to, you know, listen and to try to learn and I'm always looking for advice and, trying to glean from other people. But at the end of the day, when it comes to literally any other pastor in the world, okay, you name him, and yes, he's included in there, I don't really care what they think and what they do. God didn't call anybody else to be the pastor of this church but me. And so, and that'll, that'll tweak the nose of some people, and they're just going to have to get over it. That's just, that's just the way it is. And so it says in verse 4, And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not. Man, if we can't wash our hands, we're not even going to eat. That's how hardcore we are in this tradition. I'd rather not eat than to not wash my hands and then eat. And it says, and many other things there be, which they have received a hold as the washing of cups and pots and brazen vessels and of tables. Now, this is not a bad practice, but they had taken it too far because this just isn't practical. Okay, It's a good tradition okay, to you know tell your kids, wash your hands before you eat. That's a good tradition. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, there's probably some good health benefits to that. But if you make it like it's a sin, if you don't do it, what do you do when you're out camping in the woods? You know, and there's no stream nearby. You know, what about when you're, you know, traveling and on the road and you need to, you don't have a lot of time, you want to stop and go through drive through I mean, are you going to be so strict on that? You're going to make your kids go inside and wash their hands and then come back out to the car before they eat? You know, sometimes it's just not practical. There's things that are, that are good to do and practice, but at the end of the day, sometimes you got to change things up a little bit. Sometimes you can't do things exactly the way you normally would because circumstances will not allow it. And it's amazing how many people, when it comes to even religious traditions and things that aren't bad, they make them to become burdens. They make them like they're equal with Bible doctrine, and they even do it at times when it's not practical. I mean, for example, too, you know, proof that you know, altar calls are just like this tradition that, you know, they have made into like a Bible command is the fact that they can have a service where they literally do a Bible study, you know, preaching about from numbers or something, you know, and just like talking about a battle and they'll find doesn't doesn't matter what they preach about. It can have like it could just be it could be like on the timeline of the Bible. You know, let's just learn. How many years it took to go from Adam to Jesus? And then you just go, now that's an interesting study when done right. But then we're going to have an altar call after that. You're going to have you come get right because you were wrong on your timeline. I mean, it, it, but, 
But they will. They, they will. And that's why, too, at the end of every message, no matter what they're preaching about, they've got to find some kind of decision maker thing in there. And I don't know what they would do with that, but they'd find something. If I go into my camp meeting mode, I could figure something out, but I don't have time for it right now. I got a lot of stuff I need to cover. But that just proves that, you know what, you're just doing this because you've made this into a command. There's no reason for this right now. And yet, if you don't do it, you're a bad guy. And that's that's just weird. And so, it's okay for us to have customs. It's okay for us to have routines. But it shouldn't rock our world if something happens and we cannot fulfill that routine. You know, when it comes to, it's okay for us to have a routine when it comes to like our order of service, when it comes to service times. But if we change something up, if for some reason it just works better for us to have a midweek service on a Tuesday night rather than a Wednesday night, you know we're not violating any Bible commands because we're not in church that Wednesday night. You know, it. I mean, it's it's wise to have a consistent schedule. I hate changing days and changing times because I'm all, I'm always convinced that's when the visitor is going to show up. But there's been times where it's just kind of needed to be done, especially back earlier in our church days when I didn't have people that could fill in and didn't have as much help, a lot of times if we were going to be gone for something, it just worked better for us to just do a midweek service on Tuesday rather than Wednesday because uh, you know, otherwise I'd almost just need to cancel the service and I didn't really want to do that. So, and, and it is. You, can, you, you always have people too. We've never had this, but I've been in churches where it's like this before. You have people that are so hardcore that it's got to be on Wednesday if you move the service to a different time, they're going to go visit another church on that Wednesday because it's like, I just have to be in church on Wednesday night. It's like, no, you're just not supposed to forsake the assembling. If the church isn't assembling, you're not forsaking, or especially if they just assembled on another day. It doesn't say not forsaking the assembling on Wednesdays, but you know how crazy people, and I knew people like that, they would. If they, if they changed it, they were going and visiting the other church in town because they weren't missing church on Wednesday night. That was a conviction of theirs. And that's weird. Don't, don't be that way. Right? Don't be that person. And so verse 5. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the traditions of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? They didn't even say, Why aren't they following the Bible? They, flat out, they were at least honest enough it was to admit it was the tradition of the elders. All right. Now, the eisegesis Baptist crowd, they've learned to find something from the scripture to make it equal, you know, to turn it into a command. For example, okay, I'll get debunked at the next camp meeting that if, you know, by, uh, you know, my altar position by a preacher who's going to get up and he's going to read a story about Abraham who built an altar. I want you to notice Lot. Lot didn't have an altar. Y'all know what happened a lot, don't you? You say, nobody would preach that. I've heard it. I've been there. Okay? It, it, it's, that's legit. And you Sodom and Gomorrah churches losing the altars. Anyway, so verse 7 says, How be it, or, um, I'm sorry, verse, where were we? Verse 7? Yeah, so verse 7 says, How be it in, or no, verse 5. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said to them, Well, if Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines 
the commandments of men. So, now let's be honest with this passage, okay? Let's be very, very honest with this passage. What was wrong? Was it, was it a sin for them to have a tradition? No. It's, it's not a sin to have a tradition. Here were, they had two problems. One, they acted like their tradition was Bible. That was wrong. They didn't need to do that. And then, but here was the biggest problem with their traditions. Because people act like traditions are just bad. And that the traditions are just sin. No, they're not. There's places where Paul told the church to follow the traditions they had. There's different kinds of traditions. Okay? But their traditions that Jesus was calling out were ones that were actually causing them to violate Bible. That's what we're going to see that he goes into these. They were actually disobeying God so they could follow one of their made-up traditions. So, when a person's standard or tradition causes them to violate clear scripture, then it's a clear sign their hearts are far from God. So verse 8 says, for laying aside the commandment of God. They laid aside the commandment. Ye hold the traditions of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things ye do. It wasn't a sin. There's nothing in the Bible that said you can't wash pots and cups and things. But the sin was that they laid aside commandments and they replace commandments with these traditions. That was the problem. God's word didn't just take a back seat to the tradition, but it was literally set aside to make room for the tradition. That's what was so bad about these traditions. So he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. So, so again, there's other places where Paul taught people to follow the traditions they received. Okay, Because there's, tra- there's traditions like, that are actually commands. You know, we're supposed to do the Lord's Supper. We're supposed to have baptism. Those are traditions. Those are actually traditions that have been commanded by God. But then there's other traditions that are just things that we do. You know, that they're not in violation of anything in the Bible, but it's just what we do. It's tradition in our church. And you might have some traditions in your family. Those things aren't sin unless they cause you to violate the Scripture. If they cause you to violate the scripture, then we've got a real problem. And that's the problem with their traditions. Their traditions were actually causing them to violate scripture. And that's why Jesus was so upset with them. So it says in verse 10, for Moses said, he's given an illustration of how their traditions had caused them to violate God's command. Moses said, honor thy father and thy mother. And whoso curseth father and mother, let him die the death. But ye say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, it is Corban, that is to say, a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free, and ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your traditions, which ye have delivered, and many such like things do ye. So, this particular tradition that they had, and from what I understand about it, what I've read, one of the things that they could do is if, they had like a part of their inheritance or something. They uh, they could pledge to give it to the house of God or to the work of the Lord and when they died. And so they weren't allowed to sell it because it had been pledged to the church. So they were able to use all this until they died. The problem is they were supposed to be a lot of times sell that land. That's kind of one of the reasons the firstborn to get the double portion so they could take care of their parents and you know in their twilight years, but they were going so they wouldn't have to do that and have to get rid of it, so they could continue to profit off that land. They would pledge it to the church to give or the 
house of God to give it to them after they were gone and then not take care of their mother and father. And so that tradition, it was overruling something God had commanded them to do and honoring their parents. So uh, that's, and that's what I understand about that from some of the things I've read on that. But either way, whatever it was is not really important. That tradition was causing them to violate a command of God. That's what we need to get from that. And that's, that's the promise of verse 14. And he said, many such like things you do. And he didn't name all of them, but they had a bunch of traditions that caused them to violate Scripture. So verse 14 says, when he called all the people unto him, he said unto them, hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. There is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him, but the things which come out of him those are they that defile the man. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. Now, I preached a sermon on, on this a while back. I think it was from Matthew's account of it. I don't remember what it was called. But I do want to focus on something very specific about this passage. And this is something we've been talking about, too. It's a discussion I've uh, been going on around here that uh, I, I want to use this to kind of shed light on you know, a controversial subject that's out there. It's not controversial in the Baptist world. We kind of settled this stuff a long time ago, but in trendy land that's always criticizing us, uh, it's they've, they're trying to bring uh, this back up. I, I think this argument's been settled. But basically, what Jesus is saying right here, he's trying to get people to understand the point of the law. Okay, For example, the dietary laws, they were not given to make the people of Israel's body acceptable in the sight of a holy God. Okay? I talked about this the other day. There wasn't something special about their body, the fact that they didn't have pork in their system, that made God look at their body and say, they're better than the Gentiles. That, that, that's not how that works, okay? I hate to break it to you, but your diet doesn't make you more holy. You can, you can eat all organic vegetables and still be a scumbag. Do you all understand that? That's very possible. Doesn't, doesn't, now, it, I'm not against eating healthy. But at the same time, you know, it, it doesn't make you more spiritual. And me, you know, eating my junk food, eating those cookies, you know, that's not making me less spiritual. I don't, I don't think I lost some of the power of God when I ate that cookie before church. Uh, you know, I, I have liberty in Christ, and it made me, actually made me feel a little bit better. So uh, I, I think I'll actually do better. But here, here's the thing about those dietary laws. They, those things were constant reminders of who they were as a people and who they belonged to. They belonged to God, and so God separated them from everybody else, and God gave them customs and things like that. God gave them ceremonial things they did. God gave them some clothing, uh, things that they were supposed to do that kind of separated them from everyone else, and God gave them dietary things too. It reminded them who they belonged to, and it was supposed to turn their hearts towards God. Okay, But unfortunately... It kind of just became a tradition where they would use the fact that they hadn't ate pork to get lifted up with pride and have a nasty attitude. And so, the thing, and they never realized that, you know, it's not the pork that defiles a man, but it's rebellion to God that defiles a man. That was the real problem. And so, what about alcohol? Right? And this is what I kind of want to focus on for a little bit. So what about alcohol? Because there's a lot of people out there saying, a lot of Baptists, a lot of former Baptists saying, it's okay to drink. Okay. I do not agree with that. Now, I'm not going to do an in-depth analysis on this, but I do want to share something very important 
that you do need to understand, all right? So what about alcohol? Let's read a few more verses. It says, and when he was entered in the house of the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable, and he said unto them, are ye so without understanding also? Do ye not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him? So wouldn't that mean I can't be defiled by something that I just put in my mouth? If I just drink alcohol, according to what Jesus said here, I don't think I'm going to be defiled, right? It says, because it entereth not into the heart, but into the belly, and goeth out into the drought, purging all meat. So I don't personally believe alcohol going into my system would defile me. So does that mean it's okay for me to go buy a beer tonight? I'm 40 years old, all right? I'm old enough to try my first drink. Can I, can I go do that? Well, here's the thing. Let, let's look at it this way. There are, so some things are clearly sin, and even a trendy would agree they're always sin, like drunkenness. Okay? Even a trendy will tell you drunkenness is a sin. Okay? Fornication. Fornication, it's always a sin. And no matter which way you slice it, it's a sin. Everybody would agree with that. All right? So without going and debating all the passages in the Bible on alcohol, and there's some pretty harsh, you know, language against alcohol or what they would say just drunkenness. But let's just go ahead and assume that Pastor Hipster is right and that only drunkenness is a sin. Okay. That brings, so then that brings up the important question. Why are you even drinking the alcohol? Okay? Why, why are you even doing it? Because okay? for example, this is why I don't, I, I don't know if I want to go as far as saying, Thou shalt not drink. Because if it's a sin, then it's a sin all the time, isn't it? But we do have verses that say, give wine to him that is ready to perish. You know, we do see Paul telling Timothy to take a little wine for his stomach's sake and for his off infirmities. You know what that tells me? I do believe when it comes to a lot of the drugs that are out there, and that there is a time and place for them. Okay, okay Morphine, for example. If, if you're dying and a doctor and you're in pain and agony and a doctor wants to shoot you up with morphine, I don't think you're sinning. You know why? I don't think that morphine going in you is going to defile you and then you're going to have to answer for God about that on judgment day. So, cause if morphine's a sin, then it's a sin no matter what, even if you're dying. And it's the same thing with alcohol. If alcohol is a sin, then it's a sin no matter what, even if you're dying. But here's the question. Should you go shooting up with morphine tonight? I mean, here you are, you're healthy. You're not in pain. You're just going to go shoot up with morphine? I doesn't seem like a good idea. We were talking about this too the other day. You know, I don't know how much, you know, crack you have to snort to do whatever people do, or, you know, to get to wherever people are wanting to get when they're snorting it. But, you know, what if, what if I just snorted just enough to not do anything? Well, the thing is, if you're not going to get high, why are you doing it? What if I smoke just enough pot to not get high? Because, you know, these are the, these are the things we have to ask ourselves. Why are you even doing it? Hey, there, there is a time and a place for some medication. Hey, I've had a surgery before. They gave me a bunch of medication. They put a whole bunch of stuff in me, you know, and I don't believe I sinned when I did that. But just because that wasn't a sin, does that mean I should just go? Messing with that stuff right now? So my question to people who 
think it's okay to drink, but not to be drunk. So then why are you even drinking? What is even the point of doing something like that? It doesn't really, it doesn't make any sense at all. And so, um, said if alcohol passing the lips defiles a man, then it would be a sin no matter what. But the act alone doesn't, you know, does not. And that is why you maybe can't necessarily say that alcohol by itself is a sin because there is a time and place for medications, painkillers. You know, and if if I was a cowboy back in the 1800s and I was out on the prairie and I got shot or something and my buddy was going to have to dig a bullet out of me and we didn't have any doctors and no painkillers and medication, he's like, here, take a shot of whiskey. Are you sinning in that situation? I mean, a guy's about to dig a bullet out of your flesh. Anything to numb the pain, right? But you know what? I don't have a bullet in me right now. Nobody's digging a bullet out with a knife. Why would I drink the whiskey? Because I'm not supposed to be drunk. And the only thing that that would accomplish for me right now in drinking that is getting me that much closer to drunk. So it's just, it's really a stupid thing when these people want to just advocate for drinking and act like it's okay. You know, recreational drinking, I don't, there's no place for it. There's no reason for it. All you're doing is, is pushing the line. Okay. We all agree fornication is a sin, but you know, there's a lot of stuff that people can do that's short of fornication. So how far are we going to go? I mean, is it is it okay if another man is touching your wife as long as they're not committing fornication? Or what if he's just flirting with your wife? I mean, y'all understand, you know, that, that, you know, as far as I'm concerned, that's crossing the line too. You know why? Because you flirting with my wife, yes, that's not adultery, but it's that kind of thing that often leads to that. Why would we want to get anywhere near it? It makes no sense at all. Oh, you're just a legalist. It's not adultery. I don't care. I don't want, I don't want you getting anywhere near that. And so we're not going to do any of those things. We're putting up some guardrails here. And that's why I fully intend, you know, I, you know, it's, it's my goal to go to my grave never drinking. You know, say, well, any exceptions? If I'm ever out there one of these days and I got shot and there's nothing, no painkillers but whiskey, I might. I don't know. I don't know if I want to lose my bragging rights. So <laughs> I, I might lose my position in Pharisee land, you know, if I if I mess up my streak or something like that. So I might just take the pain, but I don't know either. I'm a wimp when it comes to pain. I, I, I don't like it. So, but I, I do believe it would be a sin for me to just go shoot up with morphine right now. There's zero reason in the world for me to do it. So, but it wouldn't be a sin if I was suffering or recovering from a surgery. And so the question anyone must ask before they do something like just drinking alcohol is ask, why are you doing it? Because remember what Jesus said? It's not what goes into the mouth, but it's what, it's what comes out because it's, let's look what he said in verse 20. And he said, that which cometh out of the man that defileth the man for from within, out of the heart of man proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile the man. 
So now turn over to Proverbs chapter 23. So notice all these things that he said are in the heart of man. These are a lot of bad things. And fornication, adulteries and fornications is one of them that's mentioned. And it says in Proverbs 23, verse 29, Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine. They that go to seek mixed wine. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last, it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Notice it's talking about not the drunkenness, but the wine. That's what it does. You say, well, you know, a, a, a food or a drink, you know, some kind of object, it can't be a sin. But here, it seems like it's kind of blaming the alcohol, doesn't it? It's, it's talking about it. At the last, it biteth like a serpent. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. And remember what Jesus said? It's from within. Those are the things that defile a man. And you know what? We've all got a wicked, sinful heart. And our Bible tells us that when we tarry along at the wine, when you start messing with that stuff, you know what? Your heart is going to utter perverse things. You know what? You know why alcohol is so bad? Not because of what it does to your system and your all the, you know, all the scientific things that go on. You know why it's so bad? Because it brings out the worst in man. It causes you to utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of a mast. They have stricken me, thou shalt say, and I was not sick. They have beat me, and I felt it not. When I, when shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. We all know that alcohol is addictive. We all know that it destroys people's lives all the time, and it's a stronghold in people's life. It messes with their brain. It, it, there's so much damage that it does. Let me ask, why would you want to mess with it? What on earth would possess a healthy Christian to go purchase alcohol? It, and you know what? Let me, let me be careful saying that because, you know, there is, you know, I, I said purchasing alcohol like it's a sin, but, you know, you could purchase alcohol and use it for cleaning stuff. You know, rubbing alcohol and stuff. I don't think that's a sin. These things have uses, but when they get in the hands of sinful men, they can be very dangerous. And so I'm here today to tell you that I think it is beyond foolish for a Christian and for anybody to mess with alcohol at all. It's not an easy thing to give up. That's why they have things like Alcoholics Anonymous. How would any preacher, any preacher who's pastor for any length of time has dealt with people who are dealing with that stronghold of alcohol and drugs in their life. And then for a preacher to get up and tell people who don't feel right and don't think that they should be drinking, that, yeah, you're not doing anything wrong. And for them to do it themselves, I'll never understand that, folks. I'll never, you know, I don't, I don't want to understand that. Yeah, but here's the thing. I think I do understand it. I think I do understand it. I think these are just really carnal people. And they're turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. And I, I don't see any evidence of that. Folks, look at our world. Look at our culture. Look how sick and twisted it is. You know what they all love to do for everything in every tradition? Drink. They can't do anything without drinking. They can't have a picnic without drinking. They can't watch a ball game. They can't go bowling. They can't go golfing 
Why would you drink while golfing? I've never understood that before. But yet people do. I don't get it. But yet people do. It's a stronghold in our country. And you know what? I would highly recommend that you never touch the stuff. That you never have it in your house. I'm not going to stand up and tell you the Bible says thou shalt never drink because you know what? There's a time and a place. If you're dying and you're laying on a table screaming your brains out because you're in so much pain and agony and you haven't got any hope, you know what? If somebody can give you something to calm you down and ease your pain a little bit, by all means do it. But for you in a healthy condition to do something like that, I think it's reckless. I think it's irresponsible. And I think it's shameful. Should not, should not do it. So, you know, it is, it's hard enough, you know, because if a person understands that they have an evil heart and they're prone to sin, why would you make yourself vulnerable? You know, the first time we see wine even mentioned in the Bible, it's in the story of Noah. And what did he do? He got naked and uncovered himself and was shamed when his son saw it. I mean, it, I, I, I'll never get it. I'll never understand it. I don't feel sorry. I, I don't feel sorry for any Christian that grew up in an IFB world and then turns to drinking when all the pro- their problems come. I feel sorry for all the victims of their lives and, and their mistakes that they make in their drinking. But I don't feel sorry for them. We ought to know better than ever mess with this kind of thing. So, like I said, it's it's hard enough living a holy life. It's hard enough walking in the spirit. So I don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. The last thing I should do is go satisfying my flesh with something that's taken down greater men than myself. Messing with drugs, messing with alcohol, it's dangerous and foolish. Do not give occasion to the flesh. Don't do it. So verse 24, And from thence he arose and went to the borders of Tyre and Sidon and entered into a house and would have no man know it, but he could not be hid. So Jesus noticed he's literally trying to hide here. Okay, sometimes people just need a break. We were talking about that in last week. I mean, they didn't even have time to eat. They needed a break. And keep that in mind, because we're going to see even more clearly now, too, You know, because I've always just kind of scratched my head about this. Why is Jesus telling people not to tell people what's going on? There, there's, a, there's a reason for it and a very important lesson. But So keep this in mind. He's trying to hide. It says in verse 25, For a certain woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek Syrophoenician by nation, and she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. But Jesus said unto her, Let the children first be filled, for it is not meet to take the children's bread and cast it under the dogs. And she answered and said unto him, Yes, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. And he said unto her, For this saying, Go thy way, the devil is gone out of thy daughter. And when she was come to her house, she found the devil gone out and her daughter laid upon the bed. So amazing miracle there. Jesus didn't even have to go over there. didn't have to show up. He just said the word. Boom. Just because of what you said. But here's the thing. Why was she called a dog? Isn't that kind of mean right there? She's trying to get something from Jesus. Why would I take the bread? Speaking of the works that Jesus is doing for the Jews and give it to the dogs. Well, what racism right here? Man, the... Jesse Jackson and them, they'd have been having a march for sure. This would have made YouTube, man. Everybody would have been outraged. But, but here's the thing. The Jews were sinners, but the Greeks were far worse, weren't they? The Greeks were really bad. Even the Samaritans, who were worse than the Jews, 
you know, they were, they, they were bad, but the Greeks were even worse than them. The Greeks were a very wicked people in practice. I get it. All of us in here, we are all sinners because of the fact that we have transgressed God's law. But, you know, hopefully, you know, we are living and doing our best to live a Christian life and we're not out there actively practicing sin. You know, we're not out there actively, you know, fornicating, committing adultery, drunkenness, all that kind of stuff. Hopefully we're not doing that. The Greeks, they didn't really have anything restraining them while the Jews did. You know, they still had a lot of morals. Uh, it said a lot, their motivation was bad a lot of times, but there was a lot of uh, junk that they didn't do. And so the Jews' problem that they had is while they weren't near as bad as the Greeks, in many ways, you know, they, or they you know, said they weren't as bad as the Greeks in a lot of areas, I should say, but they were still bad. They still were not worthy of a loving God. But And Jesus, when he came, he came to minister to them because they were promised a Messiah that would come among them. It was prophesied there was going to be a Messiah that was going to come specifically among them. And then it was also prophesied that the Gentiles would come to the Messiah. Okay, And this is one thing where Sam Gipp was partially right in his famous, you know what I never called Jesus? Never call him my Messiah. And he made a statement in there where he said the Gentiles were never promised a Messiah. Well, wait a minute. The Gentiles were never promised a Messiah to come to their nation or to come to their land. The Jews were prophesied that a Messiah would come to them in their land, in their country. And then it was also prophesied, though, that the Gentiles would come to that Messiah. To him will the Gentiles seek. So... The Messiah that was promised was for the Gentiles too. He just wasn't promised to come. You know, you know, Jesus didn't come to America like the Mormons teach. You know, that that didn't happen. Jesus didn't go to all the other countries of the world and minister to them and do the miracles. He only came to Israel to do that. And so Jesus came and he did everything that he had to do in, in Israel. And now all of us as Gentiles, we all come to Jesus Christ. So, you know what? Jesus is our Messiah, okay? But remember, when Jesus is here on earth and he's doing all these miracles, physically, he's here and he's present for the Jews. And so that's one of the reasons he said this to this woman. But the Jews, they just didn't see themselves as rotten. But here you've got this Syrophoenician woman. She had more faith than all of them. Yeah, I'm a dog, but even the dogs will eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table and when Jesus saw that faith, he just said, you know what? According to your saying, it's done. The devil's gone from your daughter. It was the same thing that Roman centurion that came to Jesus. Remember the Roman centurion, not a Jew. Listen, Lord, I'm not worthy you should come into my house. He understood that he was a sinner. But he also had great faith. He's like, you could just say the word and it could be done. And Jesus, he marveled. He's like, I've not found faith like this in Israel. And you know what? That centurion's servant was healed. That, and so Jesus calling this woman a dog, it's not him being racist. He's just kind of stating a fact. These, these Greeks stunk. And folks, we stink too. We're bad, but thankfully, God is merciful and he loves us and he saves us and he washes us and cleanses us. You know why he had to cleanse us? Because we're dirty. I don't like how that makes me feel. Well, too bad. You're dirty. You need cleansing and Jesus did that. So, Jesus is the Messiah for the whole world. Sam Gitt can just go jump in a lake on fire. But anyway, verse 31. 
And again, departing from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, he came unto the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coast of Decapolis. And they bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they beseech him to put his hand upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers into his ears, and he spit and touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and saith unto him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And straightway his ears were opened, and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spake plain. And he charged them that they should tell no man, but the more he charged them, so much more, a great deal, they published it. So, again... You do a miracle, don't you want everybody to know? Isn't this going to increase everyone's faith? But remember, when all this is going on, Jesus is trying to get away. He's trying to hide, and he can't even hide. Because everyone's looking for him. Everybody's coming to him. But I think it's becoming more and more clear that the reason Jesus would tell people not to say what had been done is because the multitudes were becoming too difficult to handle. And so so think about it this way. Imagine... If I was thinking about this too when I was studying this thought, it was just, it was a great thought. I hope we have this problem someday. But imagine if we just had so many people being saved and coming to our church, we had to start telling people, stop inviting people to come. You know, we're, we're crowding the building too much. We've got a limit. If we keep getting this many people in here, fire marshals are going to come and they're going to shut us down. You know, wouldn't that be a great problem to have? But this is kind of, you know, but, where so much is happening, it's becoming difficult for us to handle all that's going on. I've never had that problem before. I'd like to have it. But basically, I think what's what's happening right here, we'll look at verse 37. Or before, before what, what, what's happening right here, because if you go to the next chapter, the next chapter you're going to see, look at chapter 8, verse 1 says, in those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto them and saith unto them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for divers of them came from far. This is why Jesus was often telling them not to tell people what was going on because the situations that it was creating were dangerous situations they were very unpractical you don't want to have a multitude in the wilderness that's what we saw before with the feeding of the five thousand they were in a wilderness you don't want to lead a multitude like that into the wilderness you say but it was jesus he's able to multiply loaves but you know what we notice about jesus while he did miracles when he needed to do them jesus didn't try to create a situation where he had to have a miracle that's one thing that i've been noticing as as we've been going through this Jesus did not try to create a situation where he needed a miracle. Now, why is that important? You know why that's important? Because you have a lot of these charismaniac types, these name it and claim it types, even Baptists sometimes, that they're always trying to get you to create a situation where you have to have a miracle. You know why some of y'all ain't seen the power of God? You, ain't, you don't need it. You know what some of you need to do? Is you just need to go and run up your credit card, give into the church. And then that way the Lord has to do a miracle to help you pay off that bill. No, you don't do stuff like that. You don't put yourself in a situation where you have to have a miracle. 
And that's what these people are always trying, encouraging people to do. You know, go do something. You know, we don't have to go somewhere dangerous and put ourselves in a compromising. You know, we're not going to go have a soul winning marathon in the you know, ghettos of Chicago in the middle of the night. So we have to have a miracle, you know, <laughs> of God protecting us. You know, there's nothing wrong with being responsible and say, hey, there's a lot of bad stuff that goes on in this area during these times. Let's not go there then. When we go to the ghettos, we like to go there, you know, about 10, 11, because a lot of the, you know, the gangbanger types don't start getting up to the crack of noon. And so it's usually pretty safe during that time. And that's what, that's what we've experienced. You know, that's just being responsible. We're not going to go put ourselves in dangerous situation so we can see God do a miracle. And Jesus Christ himself, the man who can do these miracles, he was trying to avoid dangerous situations, even though he had the ability to do that. And I think that's a very important lesson that we need to share with our charismaniac friends who are always trying to get people in dangerous situations. We don't need to do that. Okay, Don't do things like that. Don't be irresponsible just so you can see God do something. That's a bad attitude. You're like those Jews that just seek after a sign. You're like Herod. that He was excited to see Jesus because he wanted to watch him do a miracle. That's not, that's not the right attitude. And you got a lot of people, that's their attitude with Christ. I just want to see him do something cool. Well, hey, why don't you just be thankful that you don't need a miracle right now? Aren't we thankful that we don't need our lives saved right now? You know, aren't you thankful that you don't need a miracle of loaves and fish being multiplied? I mean, I'd like to see a miracle, but at the same time, I'm kind of thankful that I don't need one right now. We should be thankful for that. We should praise the Lord for that. But some people, they're just so desperate to see some magical thing that they're going to go put themselves in a compromising situation, and that's wrong. That's not responsible, and that is not what Jesus did. And I don't think there's any doubt that's why Jesus was always trying to control the multitude and telling people, don't go telling everybody, because it would create problems. I think sometimes, too, later on especially, he didn't want him doing it because Jesus knew the mobs, he knew the multitudes, and he knew it would put him in a dangerous situation where they might come after him. And he was, you know, wise enough to not put himself in physical danger. We see, I think it's in John, where it talked about how Jesus did not commit himself unto them, referring to the, the people in that town, because he knew what was in them. He knew, hey, these people are glad to see me right now, but their minds are going to change later on. And so he didn't put himself in their care because that would have endangered him. Jesus was very wise in that area. And we see a lot of examples of that in his ministry. And so we need to learn from that. Don't do dumb stuff just to uh, so God can do a miracle. If you end up in a compromising situation, if you find yourself in a dangerous situation, I believe the Lord will be there for you, but we don't tempt God. We're not going to go jump from the pinnacle of the temple just to see if he sends his angels to bear us up. That's not what we should do. So verse 37, it says, And we're beyond measure astonished, saying, He hath done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. So uh, just amazing. Uh, you know, the multi, you know it's just, his popularity is just growing. Just miracle after a miracle. And so... Thank God, you know, for these examples that we have and for the example that he set. We have not been called as a church to just go doing dangerous, crazy things. We're not, we're not going to go to the bank tomorrow and try to get a loan for a million dollars 
just so we can see how the Lord comes through and helps us pay that off. Why would we do that? There, there's, there's no reason for that. And if we see ourselves in a situation that's you know, not manageable, it's not us having a lack of faith. It's us, it's us being responsible. Jesus did that. Jesus took care of his disciples. And there's a lot of pastors out there today that they do. They run their churches ragged. They, they, they burn the people out. They create a lot of unnecessary stress. That's not right. We don't want to do that kind of thing. Uh, Jesus didn't do that with his disciples. Jesus tried taking breaks for himself. Jesus even tried hiding sometimes. And you know what? Sometimes you ought to go hide. Sometimes you ought to go on vacation somewhere. You know, sometimes y'all let the pastor go on vacation somewhere. Sometimes it's, people just need to get away. And it's it's because we're human. We're not Superman, okay? You know, we just, we, and uh, we need to be responsible. And so the uh, main thing, too, you know, it said the beginning of that, you know, commands, I, I thought the message commands are traditions. We need to learn the difference between something that's a command and something that's a tradition. And traditions aren't all bad unless they cause us to violate a command. Then we got a problem. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. I pray, dear God, that you'll help us to follow the things that we learn from this. We thank you for the example that you've set. And I pray you'll help us to uh, learn from them and put them to practice in our life. In your name we pray. Amen.